0: This is good news. Now, uh, as you know, uh, when we started to come back, I did say it might be slightly bumpy. We might not be 100% there with our back to Thursday schedule. And, and that's just the way it's going to be. But uh, from next week... Yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty positive that we are going to get back to our regular Thursday meetups, so I hope you will be joining us. So, a bit of a different one this week. You know how, you know, I don't really have that many rules on the podcast uh, as such. I want things to be organic and a nice, free-flowing, safe conversation, but a couple of friends old friends got in touch with me who I hadn't spoken to for a long time and one of them had directed a film and asked me to watch it and it's to mark world suicide prevention day now there are many trigger warnings with this episode and it's and it's funny because there's two people on the podcast this week. I've got Christian Solomino first, who is the director and creator of the film. And then we'll have a little pause, and then we're going to speak to Tanya Bruce, who was a supporter of the film. And with the latter conversation, huge, huge trigger warnings. Um, we speak about suicide in great detail now if you are at all sensitive or uh, look if you're not feeding up to it basically don't listen Just, just skip this week but what I would urge you to do is before you listen to this episode and there's a link on our social media page and also in the blurb of this episode it's a free link it's a YouTube link to the film and it's ultimately life-affirming. It's emotional. Uh, it's not graphic in its content in any way. I don't want you to worry about that. But it is emotional, as I say, but it is ultimately a life-affirming. I watched it in two parts. And I think it's really, really beautiful. And we kick off talking to Christian and I, I think I was about, I don't know, about 12 minutes after watching it, and we, we hit record. Um, so, yeah, look, if you're at all feeling fragile or sensitive or suicide has touched your life and you don't feel ready to listen, then, look, don't worry. Just, just don't do it. But what ultimately comes out of both of these conversations is to have more conversations, is to talk to people more, and to listen, and to listen and talk, and carry on as we're doing. Um, sorry, I'm getting a bit tongue-tied, because I'm really... I've not long just uh, finished with uh, with both of them. And it's it, it gets pretty heavy, I'm not going to lie, and quite graphic. I will be giving you another trigger warning after the first part with Christian. But I urge you, if you're going in for this, watch the film first and then come back to this episode. So the film is called I Made This For You. And click on the link in our blurb and on the social medias. Watch it. It's free. And It'll just give you more context to the conversation certainly that that me and Christian start off with because we, we talk about um, the process of making the film, why he wants to make the film, the struggles, the worries, the anxieties of making the film and putting it out there. Um, I think it'll really help. And it, it is ultimately beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece and a smart, intelligent piece when dealing with... Such a delicate subject of of suicide. As I say, it, it it isn't graphic. I don't want you I don't want to put you off in any way, but I just want to give you full warning of um, its subject. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, well let's kick off first off with a chat with its director of I'm in this for you and it's the charming Mr Christian Solomino. Enjoy, and I shall. I'll see you after. All right. Good morning, mate. How? Good morning, Brian. Um, so, in the three years that we've been doing the podcast, I try not to set too many rules. I don't want any conversations to be restrictive in any way. Yeah. But whenever I have actors on, the one rule that I always try to to stick to is is <laughs> is to never talk about work and certain and oh, certain jobs right because you know full well that um talking about hello work, love what
1: have you been up it, to you know, god i'm working all the time at the moment it's, it's almost and too it's, much and it's
0: kind of dull and boring but yeah the reason why i wanted to talk to you was because of one thing in particular and it's about this film that that you've made that I want to discuss, which I got up early this morning because I wanted to finish watching it, and I'm so pleased that this is um, an audio and not a a visual podcast because, you know, I've just finished wiping tears away from my eyes because it is such, it's so beautiful and it's heartbreaking, but it's, I think, it's it's life-affirming at the end of the day Um, I'm
1: really glad that you think that. I sort of really didn't want to
0: make something that was just... um, ..that was just grim. Which, when, you know, when you're discussing subjects like this... uh, ..and, and, you know, I'm hoping everybody's going to watch this film after we've had this conversation, I'm going to put a link up. Um, When we're discussing, as we have done on, on the past, on this podcast about suicide, it has to be handled delicately, um, yeah, definitely. and I think that's what you've done by telling one man's journey through, you know, friends, past and present, lovers, absent fathers and mothers, um, and I just want to say congratulations. I think it's such a, a beautifully judged piece of work. Um, so I want to kind of rewind, and I want you to sort of... Uh, tell me how it all started, where where things came from.
1: Well, well, Craig, first off, I just want to say thank you, like massively thank you, because I know that you there is not one single gram of bullshit in you. So like, when you say those things, it really... And I know you're an artist of the highest uh, calibre and you hold you and your work, and I think you just hold everything to high account. So for you to say that means... A lot so i'm really 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 chuffed well it I'm just
0: it's just coming out of me because i've literally it's been about 12 minutes since i i stopped watching it so it, these are my immediate uh, thoughts that are, are just gonna come out so and i think that's very important when you've just seen something i'm sure i'll reflect on it later on and something else will come and i'll go oh man i wish we could have spoken about that <laughs> <laughs> as, as <laughs> yeah. it always does but man over to you
1: yeah well so how did it come about yeah. now, well, yeah, you know like with these things, I think there's like always quite a lot of things that have to pile up um that actually until it becomes until it's got sufficient gravity, you know, things coalesce, ideas coalesce. Don't mean sure. you have one idea like, you know, for instance, like um I've always, you know, I've always thought is there a way, I'm always thinking, you know, like is there a way of like making a film for very very little money that would still be good, that would still be that would still feel that would take you on a journey. Yeah. So that's something I'm always thinking about, you know, like as an independent filmmaker, because if you can come up with a way of doing it, of, of doing something, um, a low enough price point, then you can just do it and you don't have to get permission from people to do it, which is something that I struggle with having to do. And then the process of having to get permission changes the kinds of things you want to make because you get into a sort of cycle with it, you know, cause it's like, you you know well i'm not explaining this well but um no you
0: are because you know it's notoriously hard to get anything made and financed nowadays
1: yeah and obviously people then when they're investing money then they want some sort of security about the future of their investment and so then they want to see that it's like other things that they can sort of see how it's going to behave and judge it on on past performances of other comparable products and then ultimately it makes what you're doing a product immediately and that's cool and i'm you know i get that but like you don't always want to do that and like primarily as a filmmaker i've made two feature films before and both of them um when people watch them they seem to really like them and we got really good reviews but they never like were, like when they screened at festivals and stuff but they never came out uh and, and i had issue getting through the gatekeepers and, um, but I felt like I could, you know, I still have more films in me. Like, I've still had the energy to make more films despite that. And, you know, so there I was, like, writing these scripts and developing projects that I was hoping was going to be this big thing that would sort of get me through the door and get me the kind of the, uh, the key to the special yeah. room where all the lucky people, <laughs> the successful people live. You know what I mean? And, um, and I just, I just felt I really hated the effect it was having on my, the way I was thinking about the work because I just felt like it was. There's nothing wrong with it, but it just, it felt a bit venal to me, you know, a bit kind of. not it's, like, it's not that it's the wrong reasons. Getting ahead, getting your life going, is a good reason to do anything. Of course it is, but I just think that I, I wanted to make a film. I, I, it was building in me that, that I, I was aggravated with myself a long time more and more annoyed with myself as I went along you know like a relationship that has started to go wrong and you're just like oh for god's sake are you go you're gonna say that are you oh god and you know you can't get away from it in your own mind can you like every time you have a thought like oh yeah if I did that and then we could get that star and then we could get that much money and we could and another part of my brain is going you disgust me I used to like you you know look at you now so um you know that so part of it was that where I was like you know, I wanted to make something I wanted to make something that pushed back against all of that and was just like if you could just make one thing and know you were gonna get knocked over by a bus at the end of it, then what would it be? That was the question I was asking myself, I guess. I started to ask myself. And this is the answer to it. I knew that I wanted to make something that tried to be important in some way, that tried I'm not saying it is, but it's I'm trying, you know, to sort of make something that's got a significance and that yeah and that's a that's a question you then have to ask yourself like what is that what gives something significance and I don't know what the answer is but um but yeah so there were loads of things loads of things piling up like I, I wanted to make something that was um full of sort of vivacity a vivacity that I saw in people a lot but I didn't often see in performances in film not that not that film performances aren't vivacious they are but it's a different kind of I perceive a different thing in people when I talk to them. Yeah, and also I'd, I'd be, you know, like I, I, I think like with portraiture, you really see it. Like even the same person, like at a split second, the doors open and they just op- they just open and you see them, and it's like whoa, wow, there you are, man. Um, and I was like, oh man, is there a way of of filling a film up with those moments of those people opening and you seeing into them and being touched by their humanity? So uh, that was another one. Is this too exhaustive a list of no, all the different ideas? No, that absolutely that's not. It's
0: like? really interesting because the, already it's thrown up a lot. Watching it has thrown up a lot of questions for me because it mm. talks about, you know, uh, emotional versus physical pain, uh, yeah. it, about listening, actually listening to people and talking to people. And, and I mean this in the least pretentious way I, I can. This is a positive thing, but you know we talk about this film as a film. Sometimes it felt to me like it was a documentary, and at other times it felt like it was an art installation.: Do, yeah. do you understand where I'm coming from? I do, yeah, yeah and it's very that, that's... it's very rare to have a leading man who, up until the final frame, does not speak, he he, <laughs> yeah. he just purely listens. Yeah. And for anybody listening now who hasn't seen it, uh, maybe you should watch the film first and then come back and listen to this. And, you, uh, you know, the dots will, will start to, to make sense of what we're talking about. But I thought that was such a brave thing to do. Yeah, we were all really nervous about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't know if it would work at all. There's a bunch of the things that we didn't know whether
0: they would work. What, what other things did you think wouldn't work?
1: Uh, well, that was a big one. Um, and, y- you know, I didn't know whether it would hold for long enough, whether the audience would be able to go with it. And like, going back to the sort of ideas that kicked it off, like, one of them is just, a, I kind of imagine in my an idea that I've got is there's like a relationship between there's the audience, and then there's what's on the screen. And There's what's going on inside the audience's head and you could like draw like a graph of it going up and down of how much they're feeling, what they're feeling. And then there's what's going on in the screen. And I think the modern model that what's going on in the screen has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. There's like a an arms race or something, you know, as audiences get more sophisticated in some ways what has to be put. So at one point, the French connection put put that car chase on the screen and people would lose their minds, man. Like, oh my God, they did that What? That's incredible. I can't believe it. And I mean, to me, that's still an amazing scene, but that's not how you would do it in a film now, you know, like, uh, so, 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 but anyway, but I, but that's, I don't think it has to be big on the screen, big in the person. I think, and I was kind of curious, is like, what if you break that relationship? What if you just, Retune that relationship and kind of go how. Because if you look at a beautiful performance, somebody will just make one gesture and it can break your heart. Or if you read a poem, it can be one line, it can be the tiniest thing. And in life, you know, somebody just letting you out in traffic can be enough to <laughs> make you break down at yeah, the right yeah, moment. Of course. You know, someone being kind. So it can be just small things can elicit big responses. So. That was another thing I was thinking about, like, is there a way of dialing everything down? So it's very... So what's happening on screen is almost microscopic, but you're doing it in such a way that what's happening inside the person is, is really big. So that was the objective, and um, that's what we didn't know whether it would right. work. So if, if, if us seeing this guy watch... Basically, you're watching a guy watch a film.
0: But you're also watching a man listen to a journey of his life and his character at lots of different moments of his life from a vast array of different people who are either in his life currently or have been in his life and have lost out from being in his life. So he's getting... we, We as an audience are making pictures in our own minds of who... This man was who we occasionally look at on the settee, who is certainly at one of the lowest. He's at the lowest ebb, oh, and you yeah, know, he's, yeah. and he's, and it's a, you know, it's about his recovery, and it, it's about love. And there's, I'm not gonna, don't want to spoil it, but there's a certain scene just towards the end of the film within the film, and I kind of knew what was coming, and it just. Absolutely, brokenly. and it's just such a beautiful small act meant such a huge huge thing not just for mm. us as audience but for the character sat on that sofa mm. who is you know we're willing him to just pop that bottle down and i and i want and and the color scheme as well i want i want him to be i want him to be in color well yeah. <laughs> because of everybody else reflecting on his life, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, as I said before, it's so delicately handled, and was there just going back to the script, because f- for me, looking at that, it looks improvised it, it is yeah. yeah,
1: so it's all like guided improvisations, so um when I first the first sort of phase of it was just sort of went out and sort of interviewed people that I thought were really interesting and I sort of built... I had a loose idea of the central character and I had I had an idea of some people that could be his friends, you know, and um, I started talking to people that about experiences they'd had. I'd asked them questions about experiences they'd had and uh, people they knew that they were concerned about or that they'd lost... And it would just be a conversation, but it would move around. And um, then I would steer them out of that towards them sort of fictionalizing those experiences and sort of finding a character for themselves out of it. And as we went along, I started finding out, and as I started editing those down, I started finding out more and more about my central character. Because, you know, like at the beginning, I didn't, I interviewed this one guy, uh, and the person that he was talking about was someone that he'd known at university. And then at that point, that actually was a really pivotal point because like, there was a class issue there because the people I was interviewing at first were sort of blue-collar people. And then this guy, Adam, he's more middle class from a more middle-class background. Mm. And then that sort of, he was like a bridge because I realised how, A, how I could get different characters into this guy's life you know, from different socioeconomic backgrounds and, it, you know, that, and then it kind of gave me a sense of his story and his sort of pathway and his journey something. something. Um, and um, so that opened that up, yeah. So it was a journey of discovery in that sense all the time where you're finding things out about him and then you go into the next interview and now i know he goes to univ- he went to university right so then you're going to people okay so here's the guy he went to university maybe this is where you met him so you're sort of having those kinds of conversations with people so it was, as things are coming up you're sort of refining it down on the spot and then further refining it in the edit so it was
0: kind of built as uh, from a documentary kind of way it would be from interviews and then you would build up the characters from there
1: yeah, in that. Yeah, and it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So, from a filmmaking, from a it, like, it's like, it was like a documentary in terms of how we shot it, because you yeah. sit down, you do a bunch of talking heads <clears throat> interviews, and you build mm. it up. But in terms of how we're generating the story and all that, it's kind of, I guess that's a bit like a documentary too, except there is this active component in the room with the actor, and um, so that changes it. It's like a documentary that you can manipulate as you are going, I suppose. Um, that make- so it really is a total hybrid of the two. Well, it kind of,
0: that's why it makes so much sense to me when I, I was just slightly just reflecting. I was making a cup of tea afterwards and I'm going, Yes, it's a film. Yes, it's a doc- I feel it's a documentary. Yes, I feel it's an art installation in the best possible way. And then I was thinking, Had your lead character watched the film until. No, no. A Brit, what, what a touch. What a great idea. What a great... <laughs> so I was, ha-
1: you spotted that. I,
0: I was so hoping that you were going to say, yeah, that was the first time he'd seen it. So you were getting those true reactions.
1: Well, a load of them were. And then, but we also, because we wanted to, sh- I wanted to shoot it when, because there's such, when you dial it down like that, you've got very little to play with. So every... Everything counts, I think. So I wanted to shoot him as it was getting dark. I wanted mm. him to be watching the film in that hour as it, it goes from you know light to dark. And so we could only have one take. Um, so, uh, so we for some of it for, for a bunch of the film we could only have one take until yeah. it's dark, and then you could just shoot and shoot if you wanted. So we had to go back several times with him to sort of um, redo it, but. Just to get more reactions, you know, like stuff at certain specific moments that you wanted, or but but by and large, a lot of it is his first take, yeah. Because and what we but that was really difficult because he was the first person to come on board, right? So then it was like eighteen months before we could shoot his stuff. um So it was just like him waiting and me talking to him loosely about things, but trying to hold some things back so that so it was just, we were in this really long dialogue with him. working on this idea of his character and building that and building that and then there was certain i I would before he watched it i was like okay this you should know this you should know that so that he could plug things into bits of his life and then he did the rest of the work of connecting it and he had to work out when he was watching it like okay this person is this to me this person is that to me you know what i mean
0: yeah but But um, as we are as an audience though as well yeah. But that's a, that's a. But he did it really well, didn't he? He did a, a an incredible job. I thought everybody did an incredible job, but as a director and a and a filmmaker, that's a a, a tightrope to walk because yeah. it, it's <laughs> it, that must be so scary because you go right. Well, if things mess up here, we probably won't have another shot. I mean, obviously you will because it's film, but the certain um emotions and nuances that you want to get and you need to get them in that one take yeah that's that's a lot of pressure to put on you and the crew
1: yeah well the crew was just me and bruce really it was just two of us wow and um so that took a lot of the pressure off in a sense you know that the the leaner you keep it obviously the 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 less other people are waiting for you or you know what i mean it's sort of you can just focus on that so it was super small but um but the thing is, is that Gary had got himself to such a state that when he that it was just it was it would have been really bad if we if we couldn't have used the footage for some reason. Because yeah. man, he went into such a state, and we were all like me and Bruce drove back together, and we were just no one we didn't no one spoke in the car, and I don't think the three of us spoke to each other for about a week after that. We just took a break because it was after all that work to get it there. And then Gary got into just such a, such a pitch where everyone just felt like we'd seen, we'd like, we'd been in a, di- in a disaster or something, you know, people that have like come out of a train wreck or something and sort of just, just broken for a while. Until we recovered. Well,
0: I can only but imagine, but you know, there's so many, he really keeps such a lid on his emotions until yeah. one of the, the final scenes. But on reflection, looking back at a lot of those talking heads and the characters that come in out of his life, even the ones that 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 don't break and there's very few that do break it it would be very um, easy to have a, a lot of uh tears flowing and that's, that's it's much more interesting to watch people keep a lid on their emotions than it is mm. for them to bore their eyes out but there's so much heartbreak in it from the characters that have been in and out of his life. Mm. Um, And with those were, a lot of those were one takes as well.
1: Yeah, that's all. Well, I say one take. I mean, it was one interview. Most of those interviews didn't take more than an hour, but occasionally they, which doesn't sound like, I mean, that's mad, isn't it? You know, when when we're on a job, I mean, you shoot all day and how much usable footage you come out with
0: a couple like, of minutes yeah, yeah if, you're lucky. So, <laughs> if you're lucky so it's
1: it's weird to shoot someone for an hour and maybe have them on screen for 10 minutes
0: yeah
1: there's, there's that much stuff in there or, or so but then sometimes because you know you're refining it and you're finding things out and then you kind of like actually then we return to people certain people to get more bits um so yeah it's um it's a weird process isn't it
0: it is, but I was thinking about this process compared to your other two feature films. Do you feel that yourself, as a filmmaker, you've discovered a new approach into telling a story with with this way of working?
1: Well, in a way, yeah, because that was... the Going back again to that, I think this will keep coming up as we talk, is, like, those are all these ideas that are going on when you come up with a project. Like, one of them is I just wanted to know how far you could go because if you don't know, right, if you don't try... Then you're operating in this tiny little pocket of what is possible in whatever area you're in, I think. it's mm. just true in life. If you don't actually attempt things and push to the edge of failure, then you don't know what that edge is. And so I think that's really true in film. A lot of people are like, Oh no, you can't do that And all the things that were scary about it were, was that voice saying, No, you can't do that, you can't do that and another part of me was going, Fuck it, I just wanna wanted... sorry, can I swear on it? You? you swear about the fog set, yeah. yeah. Cheers. So yeah, so um <laughs> Uh, yeah, and another part of my brain just saying, fuck that. I just want to know. I need to know. I need to try these ideas that I've got and these things I want to try and the, the feeling I want to get from the film. I just have to be led by that and see where it goes. And then and then I'll know. I'll have some idea of if it. it, it like it's important to me that it could fail. It was important to me that it might not work. And actually, I honestly didn't know if it works until we screened it the first time. Until no, well, we'd screened it, but we'd screened it mostly for f- sort of cast and crew and everything. Cast and crew, three people with the crew, but um, it's huge, it's packed, it's huge. Um, but um, but there's a lot of cast. But we um, so that was one thing, and people liked it. But it was when we we had a premiere at this at the East End Film Festival, and at that one man, I was I really thought oh, I fucked up here bad. Like this is this is a stinker. I just thought, like, oh, man, people are. And when it was screening, I was sat at the front. I couldn't see them. And I was just thinking, oh, man, I could just feel them hating the movie. I was just like, every <laughs> second, I was like, oh, yeah. I really thought I was going to turn around. I didn't dare look around. I thought it was going to be empty. Like They're I'd all gone. <laughs> yeah. I really thought that. And then at the end, people had a really strong, positive reaction to it, a very emotional reaction. That like was by far the most... Uh, um, yeah, the, by far the strongest reaction I've ever had for an audience for anything I've done. And I was so shocked at that, man. I was really shocked because I didn't know how to judge it. And I think the thing is, is that I was imagining people sitting there watching it, just thinking like, you know, when's a car going to blow up or, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> can any of these guys fly? But actually, it, it, you know, then afterwards there was a Q and A and, Eddie Temple Morris did the, Q, the like he hosted it, and he did mm. a Q and A, and he was like, "Does anybody here experience this stuff in this film?" And so many people's hands sharp. He's like, well, do you know anyone who has?" And his hands sharp, and you go, "Oh yeah, this is." I just I I imagined them hating it because I'd imagined them as very different to what they actually are, and isn't that what we always do? That you're sort of imagining people as these sort of just super happy, kind of perfect, kind of untroubled by anything. Uh, of that kind of complexity or or depth or or difficulty. And, you know, just wanting to have this sort of empty, sort of cheerful kind of experience constantly. And I, I like all that escapist stuff as much as anybody, but it's just, I just thought that, I was one of the few that also wanted to escape the other way, like into the mind, into the person, into the heart, as well as, do you know what I mean?
0: Well, surely, surely, we, surely we need a balance. We need both. <laughs>
1: yeah, and people respond to both and people like both. People need both. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's what's really affirming about this process of bringing it out. But all the way along, I've been worried that it was, because it's quite different, you know, worried that it was too strange, worried that it was too, too dark in, at times although it's not just dark at all as you said it's quite it's quite bright as well but
0: well I think it could, just it could be very easy to go down a certain route when you're trying to handle a subject like suicide in such a sensitive but truthful way mm. and, I, and I think that I think you achieved that I really That's... really do I really do Great. thanks Craig and when you're when you're dipping the toe into telling a story such as this, with this subject matter, that, you know, I mean, I know we we had a brief discussion last night for all of a few minutes, and, we, you know, we did say that people are talking more about about a subject such as this. Mm. What kind of... How heavy did you go on the research with this?
1: Well, in many ways, I feel like I've been doing my research most of my adult life, to be honest. Um, in, in what way? Well, just that I've got a very melancholic personality, shall we say. So, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, those kinds of <clears throat> that deep introversion and sort of um, uh, just just struggling with just that sort of emotional pain and, you know, being feeling quite alone and all that kind of stuff, that's a common feature of of my life, you know, since I was young, like, um, you know, I used to, like, bunk off school when I was a teenager but then just, like, sit around on my own all day and just not talk to anybody. <laughs> just, like, you know, I don't know why I was doing that but I was just miserable and lonely, you know. Uh, often, not always. It was just a part of it. But then, yeah, so... um and so, yeah, I found myself at various points not a million miles away from the character in the film, and um, so that was a big part of the research. Was just sort of it was very um, much about processing that stuff, partly. Um, but yeah, I did do some research, of course, you know, and um, uh, but a lot. But as I said, a lot of it was there wasn't that many ways of applying it in some ways because it was the film emerged out of the processes. So I couldn't steer it that much. I mean, I could, of course, up to a yeah. point. But, um, you know, it had to be... There was an honesty that was just a requirement of the process because if people are talking about things that have happened, you go, okay, well, that's what happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I can go like, well, I, I'd rather it was like this, but it's, that's, not, that's not the way, is it? So, um, so yeah, the, uh, yeah, but I mean...
0: So would you say it's as much as a a personal journey for you as it is a, a feature film? Oh, massively, man. Yeah. yeah.
1: Because also, like, it, you know, for me, and again, you don't necessarily know this when you're doing something, but like you sort of start to realise things sometimes down the line, don't you? like mm. that is that that film like all the feelings i had about that film that i was telling you about feeling like oh this is maybe too weird this is too it's too introspective or it's too that people are not going to like it or well, that's exactly how i feel about myself of course it's a product of my mind to a large degree and that's how i feel people look at, my, at me and my my mind. So then when you externalize it, right, you have all those feelings about that thing. If that thing is a true representation of your inner life in some way. And so then that feels, that feels the scariest thing. That is the scariest bit of it. Because now this part that you keep hidden inside you is now outside and people can see it. And now people can go, lame, <laughs> yawn, whatever, and all that stuff. And, you know, like, so you open up to all that stuff. But actually there's a huge relief in it as well because you've committed and there it is, right? And you've kind of bared yourself in some way that you can't Mm. go back from. And I think that's actually cathartic. But the other nice thing is that people like it. So that is really making me think a bit differently um, about things, I guess, in some way that I can't really, I don't understand it.
0: Do do you mean um, within yourself? Or about how people think of you, or...
1: Yeah, about how people think about that stuff. Because I think this goes about, back to the... right. Yeah, yeah, about talking about depression, mental health, suicidal ideation, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, um, you know, when we talk about the stigma of it, you know, breaking the stigma, it's difficult, isn't it? Because things become such catchphrases... So, sort of the things get sloganized very easily and then they very quickly can sort of lose their real meaning you know like i think it's on us to constantly be creative with how we're sort of talking about things to keep the meaning in the sentences mm. but but i guess that stigma is about um feeling like those feelings are illegitimate in some way that those states are illegitimate in some way and that they're um, out of place and should be hidden if you have them and so yeah that's then, then I felt like that about the work and so then bringing the work out and people going no this is legitimate that is a fundamental shift in my thinking
0: well in a way you know that leading character trapped in that dingy flat with a bottle not answering the door not answering the phone is you know almost like a metaphor for us not having the discussion having the larger discussion about it yeah I think so
1: I think so, and, and, he, and my sort of reluctance to actually put the film out is is sort of... I think that was a realisation I had in there, because for a while I didn't really want to release it or anything. And um,
0: Really? Why? Because you were nervous of a reaction?
1: I think, yeah, just that same feeling that just holds you back from crossing the threshold in the world in, in so many ways, you know what I mean? You just kind of... I couldn't really articulate exactly why. Just a reluctance... I felt weird because of things that had happened since as well uh, and um, this stuff with some of the cast members where two of them had passed away by the time we, by now. Um, and that's, that's just, I find that emotionally difficult, you know, and it makes you, yeah. and then you're kind of like, is this okay to be putting this out with them? But then, so you just go through all that, you know, and, um, I, I, but also I think there's another thing which is just an unwillingness to just open your door and leave your little shelter, you know, and be seen and participate. I'm just reluctant to do it.
0: And, of, and of course, you just mentioned it then that um, one of the the last shots of the film is a dedication to one of the cast members who is who's sadly no longer with us. And you were saying you were reluctant to release it. I think there's some sort of, as an audience member, I would I'm, I'm watching that and going through that and being taken on that journey. I feel that for you, there's a responsibility mm. to, to to release it, to shine a light on this, and to have the, the larger discussion. But I understand, I, I can understand where you're coming from. I felt like that as well, it,
1: though. I sort of came to that conclusion as well that ultimately, if you, because when you, it's one thing to go like, oh, actually, maybe I just won't. But then when it sits there, then it becomes obvious that you're really, there's a gross dereliction of duty there. You know what I mean? Like really, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to like kind of do the wrong thing to realise what the right thing is. Do you know what I mean? Again, it's that thing of experimenting. You have to sort of try. And I sort of tried not doing it, but it just didn't sit well at all. Didn't sit well at all. And I, I knew that I wouldn't get any peace in a way until I did.
0: Yeah. And, of course, it's kind of relevant to what's going on in the world now, especially over these past few months. And That's really weird, isn't it? Yeah. You know, people have been trapped. People mm. have been going through this on their own. Yeah. Um, and it must have t- taken its toll for a lot of people. I, I mean you know we, we we read about um how probably the divorce rates are, are going to be going through the roof but you know i i, I haven't looked at the statistics of uh, of suicide um and at the moment I'm, I'm not really sure i can and i've got no i've got no statistics at all but i can imagine it's really, really taking a big whack over people's mental yeah, health.
1: definitely. It must have. I don't know the statistics either, but I know that it, I know that they're going up. I know that, that <clears throat> they were going up anyway. Like I think the last set of statistics yeah. that were released are all pre, that were massively increased and were pre COVID. As far as I know, I could have that wrong, but, um, yeah, man, because that's the thing with suicide, isn't it? I think if you sort of zoom out a little bit, um, like, if you go to the CALM offices, you know, they've got this whiteboard with all these sort of groups sort of circled that are kind of at risk. And they all sort of, over like, suicide is like the the sort of the overlapping point between all these people that are in difficult situations, essentially. People that are in debt, people that are in prison, you know, people that are refugees, people that are... You're just all sorts of people, and for many different reasons that that you would think are wildly different. But I guess what they all have in common is that their situation makes them more prone to distress. And so, in a sense, if suicide is a is a marker, if, if suicide is sort of what happens to people when people are very distressed for long periods. I guess, I'm sure that's not the only way of describing it, but to some degree it has to be a version of that, right? Then it's a marker. And I think that's why it's important that we as a society, as members of the society, look at that and take it seriously because what the fuck is going on when so many of our people, so many people in our communities are getting to that point? And those ones at that point, we have to know that they're on the outer edge of it. And what's, we don't really know the kind of relationship, like for everybody that suicides, we don't know how many other people that indicates are in great distress. There must be a, there must be a relationship, probably some statistical genius with all the information could work that relationship out. And I bet it would be a fucking <laughs> shocker if they did, you know, no. for every one person that, that actually that that event occurs for, there must be, I don't know what the number is, but I bet it's some preposterous number of people that are, so close to it that somehow by the grace of god and their communities and their own and luck and just whatever that it just they just just pass it by and it just doesn't happen
0: i think there's also very interesting moments within those talking heads of all the different people that that are interviewed and there's certainly one fella on there and he says You know, he says, I'm really fucking angry with you. I'm angry that you've tried to take your own life. But, you know, I'm glad you've failed. You don't know what it's done to us. And then there's another fella who says, yeah, well, I never told him uh, that I loved him. But I want to tell him now that I love you. And it's just all about not only listening, but having these discussions Mm -hmm. more and telling somebody that you might not have. And there's certain people in your film going, well, I haven't seen him for years. But I always think mm. about him, and I, 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 I I should pick up the phone, and should pick up the phone and speak to him a bit more. So maybe there's other messages there that, even if people aren't in distress, sometimes you don't know because sometimes we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, and or what's what's on the the true. If you break down that veneer of somebody who you think is mm. happy, but actually yeah. inside there, they're in real pain. Is to reach out and have that discussion. Are you hoping that when people watch this, that it's things like it's things like that that they'll take away from it?
1: Yeah, definitely, man. And I, I sort of, I think there's a few things that I sort of hoped when I was making it, although the way things have gone and really made me wonder just if I was just being like sort of silly, really. But I was sort of hoping that people would watch it, and that so the character, the lead character, didn't even have a name until the very 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 end and that was because i wanted to keep it as indistinct as possible so that when you're watching those things i was hoping that people would sort of feel like they were talking to them so that in a sense it was a sort of surrogate intervention for anybody you know what i mean so that love that's coming from them is pouring some of that is trickling into you so i would sort of hope that I wanted, I don't know that this was achieved or anything, but I was hoping that that it would sort of buoy you up watching it because you would get topped up a little bit. Um, And then also I was, also then I hope that by having a sort of, again, that kind of surrogacy thing, by seeing somebody else on screen, you can say, you might not be able to talk about yourself in the first person, about how you feel, but now there's there's someone you can refer to and go, you know, when he was like that, or, you know, and that it serves as a way of, like a sort of, off to the side way of talking about it. You know, like we do all the time. We we're always sort of using sort of. I think people talk about football or boxing, and they're actually talking about loads of other things, really, that they couldn't really talk yeah, about directly. So it's this is obviously much closer to it. Um, but I hope that it serves as a sort of something that people can refer to and sort of depersonalize. Things that would be too awkward for them to talk about directly about themselves have something else to refer to. And the other thing is, it just seems to motivate people to think about their communities and to kind of go, "Actually, you know what? I haven't seen that dude for ages, and I want to just check in on him or So that that's and that's if that's a if that's all it is, if that's all that comes out of it, then that's a lot. I'd be really chuffed for that.
0: Well, I think you completely achieved it, Christian. I really, really do. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post a link on uh, like all our socials and uh, on the blurb for this podcast and make sure everybody uh, clicks on it because it's free to yeah, watch, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's going to be on That's, YouTube. It's all yeah, there. It's free.
1: I, I just wanted um, to say as well, though, I think that that whole thing, all it all sort of relates massively. You know, like from from thinking of a film, wanting to make a a small film, wanting to make a strange film, wanting to make a film about this stuff. It all, and it, and and feeling like actually this is all the while doing that, but feeling like this is wrong, this is wrong because you're not allowed and you shouldn't do this. I should be, where the where are the costumes? You know, where are the aliens and all that stuff? Where's the sort of <laughs> scale? And actually, I'm so pleased that I listened to that inner voice and did it because I realised that that was playing out something that had been playing on in my mind all my life and continues to, which is that you, there's an expectation that the important things goes back to that relationship we were talking about between what's big on the screen versus what's big in your head and heart. We feel like yeah. for our lives to have significance, big, significant things must be going on. When I say we feel, I felt like that. I feel like that. I'm always like, well, this is nothing. This doesn't count, but actually it's your life and it counts. Mm. and, 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 I think we've got a really distorted sense of the scale that our lives are supposed to be being lived at, you know, because even if you go and you win the Nobel prize, you got to go home and take a shit and eat your dinner. And if you don't have somebody to call up when you get back or somebody waiting for you or whatever, or you go back with someone and say, man, this is what happened. And you get to talk about it. What,
0: uh, yeah,
1: it's completely the, the that without that small thing, that big thing of winning the Nobel Prize, it is completely changed as an experience, you know. So it's all it's all resting. And also I think you know, if COVID teaches us one thing, it's like look how not just how fragile life is, but but how uh th- how important a detail is of whether you washed your hands that at that moment. Or whether this tiny fucking thing is able to get up your bloody nostril or what have you. yeah. And all, all of that, I think we're seeing that in a negative way. Because it's these, these tiny things that are accumulating to be like a massive disaster globally. And, and also, I think what we can see there is that it's not just the thing itself. It's all the knock-on effects of everything, all the ways that we now have to cope with it. I think, that, again, that's really uh, poetically true of negative things generally. You know, if you've got like yeah. one, it can be quite a small thing that's in your life that actually all the coping mechanisms that then spring up around it and then the ones that then spring up around them and around them like a like a concentric circles, you know what I mean? Spreading outwards till you're a fucking mess. But actually the central problem doesn't have to be so big. So I think there's encouraging things in all this. Like sometimes, I think often the solutions are actually, they seem insurmountable, It seems insurmountable and it seems impossible to fix things or improve things because it kind of is at the scale at which we're imagining. But actually, the scale that life is happening at is so much smaller than we think. I believe, I've come to believe that. And that's why actually these microscopic things that have massive consequences negatively, I think this true positively as well. You know, so that's the encouraging thing to take from all that, I think, is that actually you know, small little, um, events, changes can have a big I- impact. And so like the people, some people i wrote to a mate of mine in America and I was like, Oh dude, I'm doing this thing. And there's this sort of hashtag campaign. And, you know, I'm encouraging people to just make something for somebody that they're worried about and all that write a song or something, or it was <laughs> back saying, um, you know, like what, so how is gonna? How is me writing somebody a song gonna like affect the course of their life or something like that? I can't remember. <laughs> it was really sort of deadpan, and I was like, I was thinking about. It. I was like, well, it it might, and not 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 in that big scale way. Not like, my God, I'm in in the wrong business all my life. I want to go and help children somewhere, or it's not necessarily going to do that. But it's all being, it, it's all being, it's all these microscopic bits of steering that sort of affect over time have big consequences so I think that yeah. it is worth reaching out all of those little things these interactions that we're having all of this stuff is uh, is it, it matters and it counts and you have to have I think one has to have faith in in the value of those things and that they're worth doing because that's the first thing that goes when you start sort of cracking isn't it is not it? As you like why brush my teeth why what? why have a shower yeah why? Why tidy up? What's the point? And that cycle of a sense of futility and powerlessness, I think, is directly tied to that sense, that false sense of scale that we've got. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. It's interesting because when we started this interview, I was saying when I have actors on, I don't talk about work because I always want the podcast to be focusing the spotlight on the human being and the human aspect. But that's what your film does. It's it's all about the human. It's all about the human aspect and about humanity and listening and discussion. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. And I'm really really thrilled that you came on. Craig, thanks about so it.
1: much for having me, man.
0: Absolute pleasure. And what we'll do sometimes we'll get you back on and we'll just focus a spotlight on you and we'll just have one that's just all about Christmas. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: going to say how awkward I feel because. Uh, well, we haven't seen you for ages so like we haven't i feel like such a dick cuz i've not been like dude what's been going on what's going on so we have to have that <laughs> got, chat we, we better, uh, later we, today hopefully
0: we better we we better practice yeah. what we preach Christi- Christine solomino all the best with the film and i will speak to you very soon yeah, man. okay active. and now we have an interval i'm not selling anything um so yeah that was christian solomino at the director And I really hope that you have watched the film before you listen to that. And hopefully you'll understand the certain things that that, that we spoke about in that. I mean, I was flummoxed, if I'm honest, because I got up early out of the head and went straight to the computer and continued watching from where I'd left off last night because I was just shattered and I had to get to bed. And... Yeah, I mean, I remember one point, I think it was just one, the left, the left side of my face was just crying because of all the um, emotional testimonies from all those incredible actors, and I don't know any of them, which is why I was saying to Christian, uh, you know, at times it did feel like an art installation or some sort of documentary, but it's... um, It's honesty and and rawness just bled through the screen. I I thought it was fantastic. And I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, drop Christian Solomino a line. Uh, He's on Twitter. He is on Instagram. And spread the word about this film. Now, as we go into the second part, huge trigger warnings here. This is a, a very raw and honest conversation with Tanya Bruce who's a supporter of the film and a friend of Christian's now if your life has been touched or affected by suicide and you're not ready to listen to somebody else's story then you should switch off now um, I think it's deeply upsetting but it's a true and honest betrayal of what someone has gone through. And I think it's an important conversation to be had. Um, Yeah, so huge trigger warnings here. If you're not ready, switch off and we shall see you next week. If not, then... Um, oh, one more thing. Technically, sonically... It isn't the greatest. We had some tech issues, um, but I really, really hope after a bit you can you, you'll just your ears will, will will tune in and you can just listen to Tanya's story, which I think is incredibly important. So let's get on with the next half of this episode. Supporting the film, I made this for you. This is Danny Bruce. Enjoy, and I shall see you at the end. Finally, I think we are recording, Tony Bruce.
2: Yes, we are, Craig Parkinson. Yes, we are. Oh,
0: my God, that took a lot of patience. That was oh, yes, big technical do. palaver that we've finally solved. How are you?
2: Pretty good, thanks. Pretty good.
0: You now, I've just been having... Um, quite a delicate but in-depth conversation with Christian Solomino about the film, which, uh, as I said to him, I got up this morning early to finish watching. And it kind of floored me. Um, But I did find it life-affirming. And I'm repeating myself now to the listeners, but not to you. Even though, yes, it is a film... But I saw it as part film, part documentary and part art installation as well. Do you get where I'm coming from with that?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I also watched it this morning again because I um, I sort of just wanted to, I said to Christian that I'd like to just watch it. I've seen it a few okay. times. I've seen it at a screening. I've seen it on a laptop at home. And I saw it again this morning and I just said to him, I'd just like to tell you what the trigger points or where the trigger points are for me. Um, And there were probably three of them. And I think it was just the performance of the actors. They just, I don't know, they just really struck a chord, but all of them, they just, I don't know. It's just a very, I find it just so moving. And I find Gary's performance absolutely mind-blowingly accurate and I think for anybody who's struggled or, you know, sat on a sofa just totally despairing for a bit, that um, he's just totally gets it. And I think it's quite difficult for a viewer um, to sort of watch that pain.
0: But I also said to Christian how interesting to have a lead actor who just sits and listens he doesn't speak and he speaks two lines or two words even in the final frame Mm. it's very rare for that to happen and I think what you were just talking about the performances of the actors with the the sort of film within the film because the majority of them are they're quite unrecognisable that's why it almost turns into some sort of documentary yeah
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Tanya, can you talk to me about your involvement in the film?
2: Yes, so I uh, looked after Christian as his voiceover agent for about Mm. five years, and um, he mentioned that he was working on it, but I didn't really know very much about it until he said, I'm doing a screening, Um, by which stage I'd left London, and I said, well, I'd really like to come back and see it, and... um, So I went to see it and it was in a a cinema in Hackney and it was quite a small audience. I think there were probably, I don't know, about 100 people. And Eddie Temple Morris stood up and did a sort of intro because he's worked closely with Christian on the film. And he's another person that I looked after uh, for his voice work. And um, he, he spoke very movingly. And then we all watched this film. And then at the end of the film, he stood up and said, how many people have lost somebody to suicide? Put your hand up. And um, I sort of looked, you know, it's quite an about, you don't, you, I never want to put my hand up at anything, but um, I thought, I'm absolutely going to put my hand up right now, this, if this is the only time in my life I'm going to put my hand up. And I looked round the room and I thought, oh my God, this is really strange. This is terrifying. And, um, and then, you know, it all went a bit quiet, and I never saw the film out. I sort of lost touch with Christian because I'd left London and um, I saw him doing some work on it over the last couple of weeks, well, probably a month ago. So I gave him a call and I said, what's happening with the film? And he talked to me about it and he said, I'm just finding it really hard to get it going. And I said, well, um, I think it's really topical now and I think, you know, we've got to get it out there. And um, I said, I'm sure that I could help you with it and give it to me for a couple of, you know, give it to me for a week and I'll see what I can do. And so he came to meet me and we talked to a couple of my mates who one, one's worked in the film industry in three different places across the world and the other one's doing a project with Sky and they were having a chat about their sort of uh, projects and stuff and people that they thought might be able to help us. And then I went to see Claire Balding, who was very good at, um, she's been a very big support to me and she just sat with me and went right this is what I think and this is who we you know try and get in touch with and then I took it to Mary who is the CEO of um, YMU Talent Management where I worked for six years and she said right these are the people that I think might be able to help you and then I just pretty much went off and emailed every single person that I've ever met all over the world (laughs) and that's what's happened that's my digital marketing strategy
0: Obviously, the goal was to get this film seen by as many people as possible. Yes. And what has been the responses so far?
2: Phenomenal. I think the... So we circulated the trailer to start with um, over the last two weeks and it was received really well. And I'm talking about sort of friends of friends of friends of friends of friends. And um, they all were blown away by it and they couldn't believe that I was involved in it well they probably could actually um because of my experience with suicide and they know that it's been a huge part of my life and they've known that it's it's caused some serious um derailment and rerailment in my life (laughs) and I've had amazing people sort of look after me but anyway I sent it to these people and a friend of ours I say ours a big group of us um we lost him 10 years ago And I've always kept in touch with his parents and his sister set up a a mental health charity. And I just dropped them a line and said, this is what's happening. I'd like you to know this from me. Um, I really think you'd like to see this. Can I put it on Dave's Facebook page? And they're like, of course, of course, of course. So that's what I did. And um, yes, I mean, here we are. And today it's, I've been talking to people in Australia since about four o'clock this morning. And it's just... It's a really important message for everybody right now. We're all having a very difficult time (laughs) living in a world where no one knows what is going to happen. We're all severely restricted by our movement. You know, possibilities of unemployment, financial crisis, loss of confidence, despair, concern, anxiety, all these things that are perfectly rational emotions but we're being forced to sort of just live in a very strange way that none of us are used to functioning in and I think that that can cause us um, particularly in the lockdown period a lot of soul searching a lot of what where am I going where are we going what is happening here and I think this film just just makes you think it's okay because we're all in it together and we've all got each other to support each other and just the importance of reaching out to somebody who you know who is really struggling. And there are always people who are really struggling, me included. I mean, you know, I think... I don't think you're human if you don't struggle. Um, as well,
0: I was going to say, I don't... Uh, yeah, exactly. I don't... I think it's important to know that everybody is in the same boat yes. at some point. Yes. And even those who put on some sort of veneer um, <laughs> underneath, you know, they're, probably their stomach's like a washing machine, but they, they're they scared to show it. But I was saying to Christian, one thing that I really took immediately from watching the film was, you know, about reaching out and about listening and about having a discussion or picking up that, that um, phone and just talking to that person who you may not have spoken to for a couple of years
2: absolutely absolutely and people do get you know we're all so busy and we're we're probably a little bit busier now than we have been coming out of a lockdown and potentially going into another one and the world's gone mental and you know we're all frantically trying to just be busy when we can be busy and actually that's when you, you can lose people quite quickly because you can't keep in touch with 200 people. As much as I'd love to every day talk to all my beautiful friends who've supported me all my life, I can't keep in touch with all of them. And likewise, they can't do it with me. But there are people who pop into your head and you think, oh, oh, that happened to her. How's she doing? Shall I ring her? I'll ring her later. I run out of later. I don't do it. I don't do it tomorrow. I don't do the next day. And meanwhile, who he or she, you know may be really struggling and i think that's my wish for this film and i think that's a joint wish with christian that we just want people to pick up the phone if they're struggling and burst into tears. you don't even have to speak you just pick up the phone to somebody who will be there and that's all you need
0: tanya do you mind if i take you back to when you first saw the screening and Eddie Temple Morris was asked who was affected by suicide. Yes. And usually you said, you know, by your own admission, you would be the last person to put your hand up at things like that. But you did. And from what I took, you were quite shocked at the amount of people that also supported that and put their hand up. And the one thing that I didn't discuss with Christian in any depth with was if suicide has, has impacted his life. We certainly touched on um, moments of anxiety and, you know, depression. But you said that suicide has touched your life.
2: It has touched my life in the most massive way Um, through losing my friend and through losing my mum when I was 30. Um,
0: When you were 30? Yeah,
2: I was 30. And um, she'd struggled for quite a long time with depression and anxiety and she tried to do it a few times and it didn't work and I had to section her and I was spent a lot of time in and out of the psychiatric hospital with her, although she didn't really seem to fit, in my mind, in the psychiatric hospital, but she was safer there than at home. So I used to take my whippet and we used to go and see her and I used to think everyone is, this is quite scary. I'm quite scared walking in here because everyone's sort of, not everyone, but there's a few raised voices and it's quite unnerving because you don't know what anyone is up to or where they're going to appear from. They could, somebody could suddenly be in the doorway and you're like, oh God, okay. Anyway, so we, we, I did that for a bit and then um, I thought she was a bit better And she was always talking about it and sort of wanted to buy sleeping pills. And I sort of just, I don't know, I just gave up sort of listening. Well, I didn't give up listening. I I just took a line of, okay, I've heard this so many times now. Generally, people say, I mean, I didn't know that many people at that stage, um, that if somebody's talking about it, then they're less likely to do it. And this is a very dangerous thing because that, in my experience, was not the case. So I spoke to her every day at 4.30 and um, I basically spoke to her on a Wednesday afternoon at 4.30 and she was absolutely fine. She was the best I'd heard her for a long time. She was living on her own in a little cottage and, um, and I put the phone down and I thought, oh, that's good, I'll see her on Saturday, that's great and um, well, I'll call you again tomorrow and she didn't pick the phone up on Thursday or Friday or Saturday and I'd driven past the house on Friday night and, um, I went, I tried to call her on Saturday morning. She didn't pick the phone up and it was a shitty day. So I just, um, raining day, rainy day. And so I drove past and I thought, I'll go and get her some milk and I'll go and see her this afternoon. Because my dad lived about a quarter of a mile up the road and they were divorced a long time ago, but they were mates. Yeah, they were married for seven years and had me and my sister and then they both got remarried and then they both got remarried. Um... And they ended up both sort of on their own and they became quite good friends again, which was really lovely. And my dad really supported her and put her through rehab where she met a guy, which was not the right thing. But anyway, that's another story. Um, We haven't got long enough of that one. And um, anyway, so I basically said to my dad, right, I'm going to go and see mummy this afternoon and I'm going to take the car. And it was all of three minutes down the road. So I drove down the road, opened the door and she was in bed and she's quite ob- she was quite often in bed so i didn't really think too much about it for a moment and then i had this horrendous uh next 5 minutes where basically i realized that she was in bed but she was she had a plastic bag over her head she'd suffocated herself she wasn't moving um and rather than picking the phone up which was right next to me um I literally dropped everything, ran out of the house, got in the car, drove back to my dad's house and um, said, mummy's dead and made this noise that I don't think I could ever make again. And then I thought, oh, my God, maybe, maybe I've got the, I said, you're going to have to go. And I literally collapsed in a heap and stood up and I was trying to walk around the kitchen and my voice is shaking now because I have, it's sort of, it's, it's such a, I can't even put it into words that horror, an absolute deepest traumatic shock that so many people who have faced this issue will know what I'm talking about. Um, But anyway, so I sort of tried to walk around the kitchen holding on to everything, threw up. My dad went down to see. He came back and he said, we're going to have to call the police. So we rang the police and they came and then I had to go back down with them and identify her and she'd had this... Plastic bag, and she had ropes around her necks, weighed down by saucepans. And I really think that that's quite hard for someone to go back into. But, you know, I always ask myself would it have been better if I got a phone call and somebody said, The postman's found your mum and she's dead? Or would it have been better that I went through and I found her? And I really think that I'm really pleased that that happened to me. I know that's a very weird thing to say, but I. I wouldn't want anyone... She sort of knew that I was going to be the person. So she laid all these beautiful photographs out next to her bed and this letter to me and all the rest of it. And I'd been in New York the weekend before and I bought her this lovely nighty from Bloomingdale's, which I was a bit sad that she never actually got to see it. (laughs) But anyway, um, so this went on. And then it went into a kaleidoscopic um, shambles because... Because they were divorced, my dad then potentially was a suspect. He was having to be interviewed. I could barely stand up for about a week. We had to call my sister, who was working on a cruise ship in Barbados, and tell her what had happened. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, having to have these phone calls with people, a particularly Iona, who who said to me, I've said goodbye to mummy at the end of January. And I said, don't be so ridiculous. And this happened on the 6th of March. And um, so we rang her, and she we couldn't get a hold of her. And she eventually worked out that someone needed to get hold of her and she was called up to the bridge of this massive cruise ship and they told her what had happened and she was inconsolable on her own in port in Barbados and she went out and got pretty drunk and then caught a flight home having taken a sleeping pill and pretty much foaming at the mouth almost had to divert the plane Uh, But luckily there was a doctor on board, so they, I don't know, gave her some water and she was fine. And she came back. So my dad, in the meantime, had not been arrested as a suspect because it was pretty clear that it was a suicide. And um, we were back, and we then had to go through the process of, you know, um, arranging a funeral and a cremation and all of that sort of stuff. And that was, I mean, it, it is the most horrendous thing that I... Really wish no one ever would have to go through. But we did have quite a funny time whilst we were doing this because we had to sit with the funeral director and he asked us three times if she was single, divorced, or married. And every time he asked us, we couldn't agree on what her marital status was. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it really frankly didn't matter. But he had to leave the room because we just started laughing uncontrollably, that we didn't know if she was married, single or divorced. and She's been all three, but at that particular Mm. time, we couldn't agree on it. Um, And then we went through, you know, how you sort of prepare somebody to be cremated, which obviously I've never had this conversation before. And he said, you know, well, did she wear jewellery and things? I said, well, she wears glasses, but I don't want her, I don't want those glasses on her because I don't want her glasses melting on her face. And I, you know, and I got really het up about really tiny little things. And that was that. And, and, um, yeah, that was when I was 30 and it was, um, it's affected the rest of my life. It, I mean, it pretty much derailed my entire thirties. Um, and when I was about 38, I thought maybe I need to go and talk to somebody about this cause I'm really not finding this very easy. And I don't understand why I'm not finding it very easy because it's always there. I've never really talked about it. Everyone knows it happened. You know, and they've been amazing supports. And sometimes I feel completely on my own because no one has any comprehension of the impact of what that does to your head. I think I think it's just sort of shot. It's not your head, but it's just your whole perspective of life has literally yeah. just gone in, in two and a half minutes. Your mother, the person that brought you into the world, the person who unconditionally was there for you, the person who you knew was struggling has just literally checked out without any discussion. And I thought we'd had a discussion. I thought we were good. I thought we were, you know, in a pretty good place. But um, that takes me back to the comment of, you know, when people say, oh, well, if they're talking about it, they're not going to do it. Not the case.
0: Yeah, of course. Absolutely not
2: the case. So that was that.
0: But it took you eight years to think about some sort of therapy or counselling.
2: Yeah, because I thought I should be able to cope with that. I thought, I don't know why I'm struggling with this. I don't understand. It's been such a long time. And in the first few weeks when I came back to London, actually, I went to see a friend of mine who's, who was my first boss, and she looked after me all of my life. She was a really amazing individual. And um, she sadly was killed in a car crash with her daughter two years ago, which was not... Um, Well, just horrific. Anyway, she sat me down. We went for a glass of wine. She sat me down. She looked me straight in the eye and she said, how much do you miss your mum? You don't look good, Tanya. You really don't look good. And I said, I I can't speak. I'm literally, I can't speak at the moment. I can't even, I don't even know how I'm getting through a day right now. I have no idea. And it's not alcohol. I just have to get up and I have to, you know, I know everyone says time is a healer and la la la. Mm. Which it is, but in the thick of it, you're like, I don't really give a shit about time. I don't really give a shit about anything. In fact, I don't even know why I'm here right now because she's not here and she's the reason I'm here. So this isn't really making a whole heap of sense. Anyway, this lovely person uh, put me in touch with Mind and I had this really nice lady who came to see me once a week called Janie. And we sat on the sofa and we had a cup of tea and I had lots of cigarettes and... Had a download for an hour and off she went. And I f- began to feel a little bit better. And this happened for about two months. And then I thought, I'm good. I've got it. I'm good. And actually, I was so, so far from good. Yeah. But it, it definitely helped to start with.
0: But it's obviously an ongoing process. For the rest with, of your life. For the rest of your life. Because I, I mean, I can't begin to imagine just hearing your story, what were you going through, whether it would be anger, guilt, shame, every sort of emotion. And the, obviously these things need to be processed and worked out and questioned. I'm just so sorry that it took you so long to, to, to start any sort of counselling or processing and you thought thought that you could shoulder all that by yourself it's 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 it's. i find it unthinkable even though i i there's some even though i find it unthinkable i kind of understand yeah because sometimes we think at our darkest times or however whatever moments of grief we just feel that we're kind of superhuman and we'll get on with it and everything will be fine.
2: We're English. And we'll,
0: and British, we'll, we'll, we'll struggle through it.
2: Yep, and it's
0: will. And it's complete bullshit, as we know.
2: Yes, it is. It's a total front. I'm really sad too. I'm really sad on a million levels. But I'm really sad that I didn't go and talk to someone earlier. But you know what? I didn't actually know who to go and talk to, to start with. I mean, you can talk to your friends until you're blue in the face and you can just sit there at night or go and have a drink with someone and not actually talk at all because you don't actually, you don't even know what to say. You're so yeah. broken. You just have no idea of how to communicate what all those words you've just used, guilt, anger, all, you can't, You, I mean, I literally could not really speak for about six months and I wasn't that much fun to be around. Um and I was aware of that. I was aware of the fact that I wasn't much fun to be around. And, you know, I was probably in the absolute depths of depression, depths mm. of grief, no idea what all these things were. But I just had to carry on because there's no alternative, is there? I mean, you've just got to get on with it. As you say, That's that was my mentality. That's the way I've been brought up. I mean, I don't think we all ever um, envisage <laughs> quite um, the extremes of that being tested, but... You do. I mean, if you, if you don't know that there's help out there and who to go and talk to, how do you know, you know, how, how do you start? How do you even begin?
0: Well, certainly. And, and look, we're all probably guilty of it, but certainly not uh, repression of all those feelings and emotions, because otherwise they're going to erupt in a way that's unthinkable.
2: Yeah. Destructive. Yeah. Complete off the rails. I don't really care about me. No one else cares about me. And I don't really care about me right now. In fact, you know, I mean, I've, I've never been suicidal, but I've been pretty low. I've been pretty, pretty down. And I've wondered what the hell is going to pull me through this. And I, I, can't, I, I mean, I don't really know what did. <laughs> I mean, apart from all my amazing friends and family.
0: And also, obviously, talking to people and beginning that process. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's... In fact, I'm pretty positive there's images in your mind that you can never erase. No.
2: But they become softer. And they become... um, ..less horrific. They become, that was mummy, and that's the journey she chose... And I could never stop that from happening. I know that. And I've had a I had conversations with her for three years beforehand. I knew that she would at some stage really struggle with it. But, and I also knew, and she said to me, even if you were in a bed next to me 24 seven, you're not going to stop me doing this. And I said, well, that's a bit rude because I'm actually your daughter and you have got a role to support me for my life, that's what you signed up for, that's what you're, you know, as a mum, and she's like, but I've let you down so badly, I could never be at your wedding, which she wasn't, Um, and nor was my dad, Um, because he died, not because he didn't want to come. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think losing both your parents quite young is um, hard work, it's hard work, but it does, at some point, begin to strengthen you and it begins a process where you think actually that was quite big that was quite a big thing to go through and
0: it's a huge huge thing to go through and I don't think anybody would question that at all
2: that's my normal that's my benchmark for normal as is going through three divorces with my parents as is losing my mum at 30 and my dad at 39 and my granny, and, and having a very supportive step stepfamily um, and friends um, and tremendous support from both of my parents' friends. Um, but they're never going to be your parents. You only have one set of parents. And I feel so incredibly lucky to have those two because, you know, for all the chaos and sadness and um, just, frankly, pretty unfair at times all of that I would never want anybody else to be my parents and I think you know they set me up with a pretty good sort of um set of rules for life and um morals and sense of humor and all of those quite important things that have kept me going yeah and um and they have resulted in me having the most tremendous support for working with Christian on this film
0: And when you said before that in some ways it strengthens you, you would want things to strengthen you, but you wouldn't want moments in life like that to harden you. Because obviously there's a big difference between strength and, you know, your personality or anything of your human aspect hardening you.
2: No. And I think, I don't know, so I've got a little bit older not really old, but a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I've sort of, I think initially it, I sort of went into manic phases because you have this void that is so unbelievably massive you don't even know what it is. And you are trying to fill it, so you're tearing around like a lunatic and then you get exhausted and then you collapse in a heap and then you get depressed. And it's a cycle, and it's a cycle that happened for probably eight years before I actually realised I actually needed to go and sort it out and live a slightly more middle-of-the-road existence and um i think it's made me probably slightly more direct because i'm also aware that we're all here for a pretty short time and i don't really you know i mean i sort of think well i could be dead in two years because i could be dead in two years i mean i'm not planning on being but you know that's the sort of thing that would happen to me um So I'm sort of thinking, I don't really, um, I'm incredibly sensitive towards others and with others, but I'm also a combination of sort of just pretty upfront and direct. And and it's a weird combination. And I do really think that that whole situation with my mum has 17 years down the line defined the characteristics or the personality that I now have. Mm. Um, Because I sat for a long time being pretty quiet, pretty quiet, (laughs) which is quite hard to believe at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) But there we go. That's life. That is life. You know, you, you, I don't know. You just got to stand up and try and get through the day. That's all you got to do. And it gets better.
0: And talk, Keep talk. keep talking all the time. Yep. Tanya, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I can't begin to imagine what you went through, but I'm so pleased that eventually you started talking.
2: Me too, particularly to you, Craig.
0: Bless you. Thank you so much. Take care, and I'm going to push everybody to watch this film.
2: Thank you. Everyone will love it.
0: I know. I know they will. You take care and I'll speak to you very soon, okay? Okay. Thanks, Craig. Bye. And another episode is done. There's not really too much that I need to say or add to that. Uh, I can't thank Tanya enough for being so honest and brave and telling that story about her mum for the very first time. And I'm really honoured that that she felt that this would be the safest place to do it. Um, I understand, you know, I understand if from your point of view, if you, you didn't think that was an easy listen, imagine... telling that story and and reliving that. Um, So I can't thank Tanya enough for that. And thank you so much for listening. And also, look, if you or anybody you know is affected by depression or suicide, then I think what we've learned from this episode is talk, talk, talk and listen. Listen to people and reach out to people we're going to put some um, information up for calm and mind on the blurbs and on the socials. And also, you know, if you're thinking about it, or you're thinking about a certain someone, reach out to them. You know, you've watched the film, you've listened to these stories and what this filmmaker hoped people would get from it, and it's just to reach out. So, uh, look, I'm going to leave it there and go. And, um, yeah, you should probably just sit with this episode for a bit as I did. (sighs) Yeah. Okay, well, look, until next week, look after yourself, reach out to others, make that phone call, drop that text, do what you need to do. Sometimes, you know, it costs nothing and it would mean everything. Everything. I'm sending you all lots and lots of love, and I hope you are, and until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been The Two Shot Podcast. Thanks so much. You take care. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.